Hi, I'm Jenna Van Weldon. Welcome back to Unstaged. This is episode seven. Today, we're starting our performance of Chekhov's Ivanov. We hope you enjoyed our conversation last week with Miss Hanna Scheikind about the play, about Russian literature, Chekhov's theater, and more. Hannah helped us with some pronunciations before we read the play together. She taught us how to pronounce all the names in the play according to the Russian language pronunciation. So you won't be hearing the Americanized version, like Ivanov. You'll be hearing the Russian pronunciation, like Ivanov. So hopefully that helps you understand why some of these might sound a little unfamiliar to you. One more note before you hear the play. There's a character in the play always referred to in the stage directions by Anna, and usually called Anna by other characters too, but some characters sometimes call her Sarah. That's because Sarah is her given name. She was born Jewish and converted to Christianity in order to marry her husband before the action of the play takes place. And of course, after she converted, she had to change her name to a Christian name, which is why she goes by Anna in the society of the play. But Sarah is her real, given Jewish name. So when you hear a character referred to sometimes as Sarah and sometimes as Anna, no, you're not hearing that wrong. She does have both of those names, and it is, in fact, just one person. Okay, that's all I have for you. Now we'll introduce the actors and start the show. We hope you enjoy. Why don't we just kind of go around and say, you know, who we are and um, what roles we'll be reading and where we are in the world. So I'll start. I'm Jenna Van Weldon, and I'll be reading Stage Directions today, and I am currently in Cincinnati, Ohio. I am Susie, and I'll be, sorry, okay, I wasn't paying attention super close, so I don't ever actually have to say it, but is it, (laughs) (laughs) uh, how do I say that, Avdotia? Um, and I'm from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, I guess I'll go next. I'm Jeremy, and uh, I'll, be, I'll be playing Ivanov. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I, I'm in Oxford, Ohio, and I'm teaching through Zoom three times a week. I'm Natalie Steen, and I am reading from Martha. And I am in Berea, Ohio, finishing out my senior year online. I'm Ernesto. I'm going to be playing Michael Borkin, and I'm currently in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm Brant Mina. I will be reading for Evolve, and I'm in Upland, Indiana, finishing off my senior year online. Hi, I'm Hannah. I just graduated from Overland College last May. I guess that's not just, that was a year ago. Um, and I was living in the city, um, in New York City, and now I am in Connecticut, quarantining with my family here. I'm playing Sasha and George. My name is Ty Kinzer. I am playing Shabelsky today, and I am currently quarantining with my parents in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Go ahead, Hunter. Um, I'm currently quarantining in Friendswood, Texas, and I am reading for the role of Kosi. I'm Angela Nally. I graduated from CCM in 1992. I am playing the role of Zenaida, and we currently have three college students quarantining with us. And the we <laughs> is because I am Mike Nally, and I am playing Zenaida's husband. Oh, oh, Paul Lebedev. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm Mike and Angela. A long time no see. Hey, Jeremy. Yeah, it's been, been a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm Tracy Manning. I'm quarantining in Marion, Indiana with three children, a husband and a corgi. And I am reading Anna. Act one. The garden of Ivanov's country place. On the left is a terrace and the facade of the house. One window is open. Below the terrace is a broad semicircular lawn from which paths lead to right and left into a garden. On the right are several, several garden benches and tables. A lamp is burning on one of the tables. It is evening. As the curtain rises, sounds of the piano and violoncello are heard. Ivanov is sitting at a table reading. Borkin, in top boots and carrying a gun, comes in from the rear of the garden. He's a little tipsy. As he sees Ivanov, he comes toward him on tiptoe, and when he comes opposite him, he stops and points his gun at his face. Misha, what are you doing? You frighten me. I can't stand your stupid jokes when I am so nervous as this. <laughs> and having frightened me, you laugh? <laughs> there. I'm sorry, really. I won't do it again. And indeed, I won't. Oh, how hot it is. Just think, my dear boy, I have covered 12 miles in the last three hours. I am worn out. Just feel how my heart is beating. Oh, very well. I shall feel it later. No, feel it now. Can you feel it thumping? That means that it is weak and that I may die suddenly at any moment. Would you be sorry if I died? I'm reading now. I shall attend to you later. No, seriously, would you be sorry if I died? Nicholas, would you be sorry if I died? Leave me alone. Come, tell me if you would be sorry or not. I am sorry that you smell so of vodka, Misha. It is disgusting. Do I smell of vodka? How strange. And yet, it is not so strange after all. I met the magistrate on the road, and I must admit that we did drink about eight glasses together. But strictly speaking, of course, drinking is very harmful. Listen, it is harmful, isn't it? Is it? Is it? This is unendurable. Let me warn you, Misha, that you are going too far. Well, well, excuse me. Sit here by yourself then, for heaven's sake, if it amuses you. What extraordinary people one meets in the world. They won't even allow themselves to be spoken to. Oh, yes, I nearly forgot. Please let me have 82 rubles. Why do you want 82 rubles? To pay the workmen tomorrow. I haven't the money. Many thanks. Uh, so you haven't the money. And yet the workmen must be paid, mustn't they? I don't know. Wait till my salary comes in on the first of the month. How is it possible to discuss anything with a man like you? Can't you understand that the workmen are coming tomorrow morning and not on the first of the month? How can I help it? I'll be hanged if I can do anything about it now. And what do you mean by this irritating way you have of pestering me whenever I am trying to read or write or- Must the workmen be paid for or not, I ask you. But good gracious, what is the use of talking to you? Do you think because you own an estate you can command the whole world? With your 2,000 acres and your empty pockets, you are like a man who has a cellar full of wine and no corkscrew. I have sold the oats as they stand in the field, yes, sir. And tomorrow I shall sell the rye and the carriage horses. 
Do you think I am going to stand upon ceremony with you? Certainly not. I am not that kind of man. Anna appears at the open window. Whose voice did I hear just now? Was it yours, Misha? Why are you stamping up and down? Anybody who had anything to do with your Nicholas would stamp up and down. Listen, Misha, please have some hay carried on to the croquet lawn. Leave me alone, please. What manners. They are not becoming to you at all. If you would like to be liked by women, you must never let them see you when you are angry or obstinate. Nicholas, let's go and play on the lawn in the hay. Don't you know it is bad for you to stand at the open window, Annie? Shut the window, uncle. Don't forget that the interest on the money you owe Lebedev must be paid in two days. I haven't forgot it. I am going over to see Lebedev today and shall ask him to wait. When are you going? At once. Wait, wait! Isn't it Sasha's birthday? So it is! <gasps> the idea of my forgetting it! What a memory I have! <gasps> I shall go with you. I shall go, I shall go! Oh, Nicholas, old man, you are the joy of my life! If you were not always so nervous and cross and gloomy, you and I could do great things together. I would do anything for you. Shall I marry Martha Babakina and give you half her fortune? That is, not half, either, but all. Take it all! Oh, enough of this nonsense! No, seriously! Shan't I marry Martha and half the money with you? But no. Why should I propose it? How can you understand? You say to me, stop talking nonsense. You are a good man and a clever one, but you haven't any red blood in your veins or any, well, enthusiasm. Why, if you wanted to, you and I could cut a dash together that would shame the devil himself. If you were a normal man instead of a morbid hypochondriac, we would have a million in a year. For instance, if I had 2,300 rubles now, I could make 20,000 in two weeks. You don't believe me? You think it is all nonsense? No, it isn't nonsense. Give me 2,300 rubles and let me try. Ovzyanov is selling a strip of land across the river for that price. If we buy this, both banks will be ours, and we shall have the right to build a dam across the river. Isn't that so? We can say that we intend to build a mill, and when the people on the river below us hear that, we mean to dam the river, they will, of course, object violently, and we shall say, if you don't want a dam here, you will have to pay to get us away. Do you see the result? The factory would give us 5,000 rubles, Korolkov 3,000, and the monastery 5,000 more. Oh, well, that is simply idiotic, Misha. If you don't want me to lose my temper, you must keep your schemes to yourself. Of course. I knew how it would be. You never will act for yourself, and you tie my hands so that I am helpless. Enter Shabelsky and Lvov. The only difference between lawyers and doctors is that lawyers simply rob you, whereas doctors both rob you and kill you. I'm not referring to anyone present. They are all frauds and swindlers. Perhaps in Arcadia you might find an exception to the general rule, and yet I have treated thousands of sick people myself in my life, and I've never met a doctor who did not seem to me to be an unmistakable scoundrel. Yes, you tie my hands and never do anything for yourself, and that is why you have no money. As I said before, I am not referring to anyone here at present. There, there may be exceptions, though, after all. What have you to tell me, doctor? Exactly what I said this morning. She must go to the Crimea at once. 
Ha! To Crimea! Why don't you and I set up as doctors, Misha? Then if some Madame Angot or Ophelia finds the world tiresome and begins to cough and be consumptive, all we shall have to do will be to write out a prescription according to the laws of medicine. That is, first, we shall order her a young doctor, and then a journey to the Crimea. There's some fascinating young Tartar. Oh, don't be coarse. It takes money to go to the Crimea. And even if I could afford it, you know she has refused to go. Yes, she has. Look here, Doctor. Is Anna really so ill that she absolutely must go to Crimea? Yes, she has the consumption. Oh, how sad. I have seen in her face for some time that she could not last much longer. Can't you speak quietly? She can hear everything you say. <sighs> the life of a man is like a flower, blooming so gaily in a field. Then along comes a goat. He eats it and the flower is gone. Oh, nonsense, nonsense. Everything is fraud and a swindle. Gentlemen, I have been trying to tell Nicholas how he can make some money and have submitted a brilliant plan to him, but my seed, as usual, has fallen on barren soil. Look what a sight he is now. Dull, cross, bored, peevish. You are always inventing schemes for everybody, you clever fellow, and telling them how to live. Can't you tell me something? Give me some good advice, you ingenious young man. Show me a good move to make. I am going to have a swim. Goodbye, gentlemen. There are at least 20 good moves you could make. If I were you, I should have 20,000 rubles in a week. Oh, he goes out and Shabelsky follows him. Uh, how would you do it? Come, explain. There's nothing to explain. It is so simple. Nicholas, give me a ruble. Ivanov silently hands him the money. Thanks. Shabelsky, you still hold some trump cards. Shabelsky follows him out. Well, what are they? If I were you, I should have 30,000 rubles and more in a week. Useless people, useless talk, and the necessity of answering stupid questions have wearied me so, Doctor, that I am ill. I have become so irritable and bitter that I don't know myself. My head aches for days at a time. I hear a ring in my ears. I can't sleep. And yet there is no escape from it all, absolutely none. Ivanov, I have something serious to speak to you about. What is it? It's about your wife. She refuses to go to the Crimea alone, but she would go with you. It would cost a great deal for us both to go. And besides, I could not get leave to be away for so long. I've had one holiday already this year. Very well, let us admit that. Now to proceed. The best cure for consumption is absolute peace of mind, and your wife has none whatever. She is forever excited by your behavior to her. Forgive me, I am excited and I am going to speak frankly. Your treatment of her is killing her. Ivanov, let me believe better things of you. What you say is true. True. I must be terribly guilty, but my mind is confused. My will seems to be paralyzed by a kind of stupor. I can't understand myself or anyone else. Come. Let us take a walk. We might be over here. We might be overheard here. My dear friend, you should hear the whole story from the beginning. If it were not so long and complicated that to tell it would take all night. Anna is a splendid, a, an exceptional woman. She's left her faith, 
her parents and her fortune for my sake. If I should demand a hundred other sacrifices, she would consent to every one without the quiver of an eyelid. Well, I am not a remarkable man in any way and have sacrificed nothing. However, the story is a long one. In short, the whole point is, my dear doctor, that I, I married her for love and promised to love her forever. And now, after five years, she loves me still and I... Now, when you tell me she's dying, I feel neither love nor pity, only a sort of loneliness and weariness. To all appearances, this must seem horrible, and I cannot understand myself what is happening to me. Chabelski comes in. <laughs> Upon my word, that man is no scoundrel, but a great thinker, a mastermind. He deserves a memorial. He is the essence of modern ingenuity and combines in himself alone the genius of the lawyer, the doctor, and the financier. And yet he has never finished a course of studies in any college. That is so surprising. What an ideal scoundrel he would have made if he had acquired a little culture and mastered the sciences. You could make 20,000 rubles in a week, he said. You still hold the ace of trumps. It is your title. He said I might get a rich girl to marry me for it. Let me make a match between you and Marta, says he. Who is this Marta? It must be that Balabokina, Balabokina woman, the one that looks like a laundress. Is that you, Count? Oh, what do you want? <laughs> oh, why do you laugh? I was thinking of something you said at dinner. Do you remember? <clears throat> How was it? A forgiven thief? A, a doctored horse? <laughs> a, a forgiven thief, a doctored horse, and a Christianized Jew are all worth the same price. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even repeat the simplest saying without ill nature. You are a most malicious old man. <clears throat> Seriously, Count, you are extremely disagreeable and very tiresome and painful to live with. You're always grumbling and <clears throat> growling and <clears throat> everybody to you is a blackguard and scoundrel. Tell me honestly, Count, have you ever spoken well of anyone? Is this an inquisition? We have lived under this same roof now for five years and I have never heard you speak kindly of people or without bitterness or derision. What harm has the world done to you? Is it possible that you consider yourself better than anyone else? Not at all. I think we are all of us scoundrels and hypocrites. I myself am a degraded old man and as useless as a cast-off shoe. I abuse myself as much as anyone else. I was rich once, free and happy at times, but now I am a dependent, an object of charity, a joke to the world. When I am at last exasperated and defy them, they answer me with a laugh. When I laugh, they shake their heads sadly and say, that old man has gone mad. But oftenest of all, I am unheard and unnoticed by everyone. Screaming oh. again. Who is screaming? The, the owl, it screams every evening. Let it scream. Things are as bad as they can be already. Alas, my dear Sarah, if I could only win a thousand or two rubles, I should soon show you what I could do. I wish you could see me. I wish, get, a, 
away out of this hole and leave the bread of charity and do not show my nose here again until the last judgment day. What would you do if you were to win so much money? First, I would go to Moscow and hear the gypsies play. And then, then I should fly to Paris and take an apartment and go to the Russian church. And <clears throat> what else? I would go and sit on my wife's grave for days and days and think. I would sit there until I died. My wife is buried in Paris. Oh, how terribly dull this is. Shall we play a duet? As you like. Go and get the music ready. Ivanov and Lvov appear in one of the paths. My dear friend, you left college last year, and you are still young and brave. Being 35 years old, I have the right to advise you. Don't marry a Jewess, or a blue stocking, or a woman who is queer in any way. Choose some nice, commonplace girl with any strange and startling points in her character. Plan your life for quiet. The grayer and more monotonous you can make the background, the better. My dear boy, do not try to fight alone against thousands. Do not tilt with windmills. Do not dash yourself against the rocks. And above all, May you be spared the so-called rational life, all wild theories and impassioned talk. Everything is in the hands of God. So shut yourself up in your shell and do your best. That is the pleasant, honest, healthy way to live. But the life I have chosen has been so tiring, oh, so tiring, so full of mistakes of injustice and stupidity. There you are again, uncle, always underfoot, Never letting one have a moment's quiet talk. Is there no refuge anywhere for a poor old devil like me? How I've offended him. Yes, my nerves have certainly gone to pieces. I must do something about it. I must. Ivanov, I have heard all you've said, and, and, and I'm going to speak frankly. You have shown me in your voice and manner, as well as your words, a most heartless egotism and pitiless cruelty. Your nearest friend is dying simply because she is near you. Her days are numbered, and you can feel such indifference that you go about giving advice and analyzing your feelings. I cannot say all I should like to. I have not the gift of words, but, but I can at least say that you are deeply antipathetic to me. I suppose I am. As an onlooker, of course, you see me more clearly than I see myself, and your judgment of me is probably right. No doubt I am terribly guilty. I think I hear the carriage coming. I must get ready to go. You dislike me, doctor, and you don't conceal it. Your sincerity does you credit. What a confoundedly disagreeable character. I've let another opportunity slip without speaking to him as I meant to, but I simply cannot talk calmly to that man. The moment I open my mouth to speak, I feel such a commotion and suffocation here that my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Oh, I loathe that tartuffe, that unmitigated rascal with all my heart. There he is, preparing to go driving in spite of the entreaties of his unfortunate wife, who adores him and whose only happiness is his presence. She implores him to spend at least one evening with her, and he cannot even do that. Why, he might shoot himself in despair if he had to stay at home. Poor fellow, 
What he wants are new fields for his villainous schemes. Well, I know why you go to Lebedev's every evening, Ivanov. I know. Enter Ivanov in a hat and coat, Anna and Shabelsky. Look here, Nicholas. This is simply barbaric. <coughs> you go away every evening and leave us here alone, and we get so bored that we have to go to bed at eight o'clock. It is a scandal and no decent way of living. Why can you go driving if we can't? Why? Leave him alone, Count. Let him go if he wants to. How can a sick woman like you go anywhere? You know you have a cough and must not go out after sunset. Ask the doctor here. You are no child, Annie. You must be reasonable. <coughs> and as for you, what, will you, what would you do with yourself over there? I am ready to go anywhere, into the jaws of a crocodile or even into the jaws of hell, so long as I don't have to stay here. I am horribly bored. I am stupefied by this dullness. Everyone here is tired of me. You leave me at home to entertain Anna, but I feel more like scratching and biting her. Leave him alone, Count. Leave him alone. Let him go if he enjoys himself there. What does this mean, Annie? You know I'm not going for pleasure. I, I must see Lebedev about the money I owe him. I don't see why you need to justify yourself to me. Go ahead. Who is keeping you? Heavens! <laughs> don't let us bite one another's heads off. Is that really unavoidable? Nicholas, my dear boy, do please take me with you. I may possibly be amused a little by the sight of all the fools and scoundrels I should see there. You know, I haven't been off this place since Easter. Oh, very well. Come along, then. How tiresome you all are. I may go? Oh, thank you. M may I wear your straw hat? You may. Only hurry, please. How- Kowalski runs into the house. How tired I am of you all. No, what am I saying? Annie, my manner to you is insufferable, and it never used to be. Well, goodbye, Annie. I shall be back by one. Nicholas, my dear husband, stay home tonight. Darling, sweetheart, my dear unhappy one, I implore you to let me leave home in the evenings. I know it is cruel and unjust to ask this, but let me do you this injustice. It is such torture for me to stay. As soon as the sun goes down, my soul is overwhelmed by the most horrible despair. But don't ask me why. I, I don't know. I swear I don't. This dreadful melancholy torments me here. It, it drives me to the Lebedievs, and there it grows worse than ever. I rush home. It still pursues me. And so I am tortured all through the night. It's breaking my heart. Nicholas, won't you stay? We will talk together as we used to. We will have supper together and read afterwards. The old grumbler and I have learned so many duets to play to you. I can't understand you anymore. This has been going on for a year now. What has changed you so? I don't know. And why don't you want me to go driving with you in the evening? As you insist on knowing, I shall have to tell you. It's a little cruel, but you had best understand. When this melancholy fit is on me, I begin to dislike you, Annie, 
and at such times I must escape from you. In short, I simply have to leave this house. Oh, you are sad, are you? I can understand that. Nicholas, let me tell you something. <clears throat> Won't you try to sing and laugh and scold as you used to? Stay here and, and we'll drink some liquor together and laugh and, and chase away this sadness of yours in no time. Shall I sing to you? <clears throat> or, we, or we shall sit in your study in the twilight as we used to while you tell me about your sadness. I can read such suffering in your eyes. Let me look into them and weep and our hearts will both be lighter. <laughs> or is it really true that the flowers return with every spring but lost happiness never returns? Oh, is it? Well, go then, go. Pray for me, Annie. No, I can't do it. Yes, go, go. Make this a rule, madam. As soon as the sun goes down, you must go indoors and not come out again until morning. The damp evening air is bad for you. Yes, sir. What do you mean by yes, sir? I'm speaking seriously. But I don't want to be serious. <coughs> now you see you're coughing already. Shabelsky comes out of the house in his hat and coat. Where's Nicholas? here yet. Good night, my darling. I beg your pardon. Idiot. A pause. The sounds of a concertina are heard in the distance. Oh, how lovely it is. The coachman and cook are having a little ball in there by themselves, and I, I am, as it were, abandoned. Why are you walking about, doctor? Come and sit down here. I can't sit down. They are playing the sparrow in the kitchen. Sparrow, sparrow, where are you? On the mountains drinking dew. Are your father and mother living, doctor? My mother is living. My father is dead. Do you miss your mother very much? I am too busy to miss anyone. <laughs> The flowers return with every spring, but lost happiness never returns. I wonder who taught me that. I think it was Nicholas himself. Oh, the owl is hooting again. Well, let it hoot. I've begun to think, Doctor, that fate has cheated me. Other people who perhaps are no better than I am are happy and have not had to pay for their happiness. But I have paid for it all, every moment of it. And at such a price. Why should I have to pay so terribly? Dear friend, you are all too considerate and gentle with me to tell me the truth, but do you think that I don't know what is the matter with me? I know perfectly well. However, this isn't a pleasant subject. I beg your pardon. Can you tell funny stories? No, I can't. Nicholas can. I am beginning to be surprised too at the injustice of people. Why do they return hatred for love and answer truth with lies? Can you tell me how much longer I shall be hated by my mother and father? They live 50 miles away and yet I can feel their hatred day and night even in my sleep. 
And how do you account for the sadness of the Nicholas? He says that he only dislikes me in the evening when the fit is on him. I understand it and I can tolerate it, but what if he should come to dislike me altogether? Of course, <laughs> that is impossible. And yet, no, no, I mustn't even imagine such a thing. Sparrow, Sparrow, where are you? What fearful thoughts I have. You are not married, doctor. There are many things that you cannot understand. You said you are surprised, but, but it is you who surprises me. Tell me, explain to me how you, an honest and intelligent woman, almost a saint, could allow yourself to be so badly deceived and dragged into the, this den of bears. Why are you here? What have you in common with such a cold and heartless, but enough of your husband? What have you in common with these wicked and vulgar surroundings? With that eternal grumbler, that crazy and decrepit count? With that swindler, that prince of rascals, Misha, with his fool's face? Tell me, I say, how did you get here? Oh, that is what he used to say long ago. Oh, exactly. Only his eyes are larger than yours. And when he was excited, they used to shine like coals. Go on, go on. There's nothing more to say. Go into the house. You say that Nicholas is not what he should be, that his faults are so and so. How can you possibly understand him? How can you learn to know anyone in six months? He is a wonderful man, doctor. And I'm so sorry that you could not have known him as he was two or three years ago. He's depressed and silent now and broods all day without doing anything, but that he was splendid then. I fell in love with him at first sight. <laughs> I gave one look and was caught like a mouse in a trap. <laughs> so when he asked me to go with him, I cut every tie that bound me to my old life as one snips the withered leaves from a plant. But things are different now. Now he goes to Lebdiez to amuse himself with other women. And I sit here in the garden and listen to the owls. Tell me, doctor, have you any brothers and sisters? No. Anna sobs. What is it? What is the matter? I can't stand it, doctor. I must go. Where? To him, I am going. Have the horses harnessed. No, I certainly cannot go on treating anyone under these conditions. I not only have to do it for nothing, but I am forced to endure this agony of mind besides. No, no, I can't stand it. I've had enough of it. He goes into the house and the curtain falls. Act two. The drawing room of Lebedev's house. In the center is a door <laughs> leading into a garden. Doors open out of the room to the right and left. The room is furnished with valuable old furniture, which is carefully protected by linen covers. The walls are hung with pictures. The room is lighted by a candelabra. Zenaida is sitting on the sofa. The elderly guests are sitting in armchairs on either hand. The young guests are sitting about the room on small chairs. Kosich, Avdotya Nazarovna, George, and others are playing cards in the background. Gabriel is standing near the door on the right. 
The maid is passing sweetmeats about on a tray. During the entire act, guests come and go from the garden, through the room, out of the door on the left, and back again. Enter Martha through the door on the right. She goes towards Zenaida. My dearest Martha. How do you do, Zenaida? Let me congratulate you on your daughter's birthday. Thank you, dear. I am delighted to see you. How are you? Very well, indeed. Thank you. Good evening, young people. The younger guests get up and bow. Young people, indeed. Do you call yourself an old person? How can I make any pretense of you now? What nonsense. The fact that you are a widow means nothing. You could beat any pretty girl you chose at a canter. Gabriel brings Martha some tea. Why do you bring the tea in like that? Go and fetch some jam to eat with it. No, thank you. None for me. Don't trouble yourself. Did you come through Mushkine on your way here? No, I came by way of Spastic. The road is better that way. Yeah, so it is. Two in spades. Pass. The price of the lottery tickets have gone up again, my dear. I have never known such a state of affairs. The first issue is already worth 270, and the second nearly 250. This has never happened before. How fortunate for those who have a great many tickets. Don't say that, dear. Even when the price of the tickets is high, it does not pay to put one's capital into them. Quite true. And yet, my dear, one never can tell what may happen. Providence is sometimes kind. My impression is, ladies, that at present capital is exceedingly unproductive. Shares pay very small dividends, and speculating is exceedingly dangerous. As I understand it, the capitalist now finds himself in a more critical position than the man who... Quite right. <sighs> How dare you yawn in the presence of ladies? I beg your pardon, it was quite an accident. Zenaida gets up and goes out through the door on the right. Two and heart. Pass. Pass. Heavens, this is deadly. I shall die of ennui. Enter Zenaida and Lebedev through the door on the right. Why do you go off by yourself like a prima donna? Come and sit with our guests. Oh dear, our sins are heavy. Why, there is my little sugar plum. How is your most esteemed highness? Very well, thank you. Splendid, splendid. Quite right. Oh, Gabriel. Gabriel brings him a glass of vodka and a tumbler of water. He empties the glass of vodka and sips the water. Good health to you. No, good health is too much to ask. I am content to keep death from the door. Where is the heroine of this occasion, Zuzu? Look here. Why haven't we taken any tricks yet? Yes, why have we lost this game entirely, confound it? Because, friend, you don't know how to play it, and you have no right to be sitting here at all. What right have you to lead from another suit? Haven't you the ace left? Ladies and gentlemen, let me explain. I had the ace, king, queen, and eight of diamonds. The ace of spades and one. Just one little heart. Do you understand? Well, she, bad luck to her, she couldn't make a little slam. I said no. I said one in, no trumps. No, I said one in, no trumps. You said two in, no trumps. This is unbearable. Allow me. You had. I had. You had. But you shall decide it, Paul. I had the ace, king, queen, and eight of diamonds. Stop, for heaven's sake, stop! I said no trumps and not he. I'll be damned if I ever sit down to another game of cards with that old cat. 
He rushes into the garden. The second guest follows him. George is left alone at the table. <sighs> he makes my blood boil. Old cat indeed. You're an old cat yourself. How angry you are, Auntie. Are you here, my darling? My beauty. And was I blind as a bat and didn't see you, darling child? How happy this makes me. Oh, let me feast my eyes on you, my milk-white swan. Oh, oh, you have bewitched me. Uh, why don't you find her a husband instead of singing her praises? He shall be found. I shall not go to my grave before I have found a husband for her, and one for Sasha, too. I shall not go to my grave. <sighs> Where to find these husbands nowadays? There sits some possible bridegrooms now, huddled together like a lot of half-drowned rats. A most unfortunate comparison. It is my belief, ladies, that if the young men of our day prefer to remain single, the fault lies not with them, but with the existing social conditions. Come, enough of that. Don't give us any more philosophy. I don't like it. Enter Sasha. She goes up to her father. How can you endure the stuffy air of this room when the weather is so beautiful? Hmm, my dear Sasha, don't you see that Martha's here? I beg your pardon. Yes, here I am, my dear little Sasha, and proud to congratulate you. Many happy returns of the day, dear. Thank you. As you were saying, Avdotya Nosrodna, husbands are hard to find. I don't want to be rude, but I must say the young men of the present are a dull and pokey lot, poor fellows. They can't dance or talk or drink as they should do. Oh, as far as drinking goes, they are all experts. Just give them, give them... Uh, simply to drink is no art. A horse can drink. No, it must be done in the right way. In my young days, we used to sit and cudgel our brains all day over our lessons. But as soon as evening came, we would fly off on some spree and keep it up till dawn. How we used to dance and flirt and drink too. Or sometimes we would sit and chatter and discuss everything under the sun until we almost wagged our tongues off. But now, oh, boys are a puzzle to me. They are not willing either to give a candle to God or a pitchfork to the devil. There's only one young fellow in the country who is worth a penny, and he's married. They say, too, that he's going crazy. Who is he? Nicholas Ivanov. Yes, he is a fine fellow, only he is very unhappy. Well, how could he be otherwise, poor boy? Oh, he made such a bad mistake. When he married that Jewess of his, he thought, of course, that her parents would give away whole mountains of gold with her. But on the contrary, on the day she became a Christian, they disowned her. And Ivanov has never seen a penny of the money. He has repented of his folly now, but it is too late. Mother, that is not true. How can you say it is not true, Sasha, when we all know it to be fact? Why did he have to marry a Jewess? He must have had some reason for doing it. Are Russian girls so scarce? No, he made a mistake, poor fellow, a sad mistake. <laughs> and what on earth can he do with her now? Mm -hmm. Where could she go if he were to come home someday and say, your parents have deceived me, leave my house at once. <laughs> her parents wouldn't take her back. She might find a place as a housemaid if she had ever learned to work, which she hasn't. He worries and worries her now, but the Count interferes. If it had not been for the Count, he would have worried her to death long ago. 
they say he shuts her up in a cellar and stuffs her with garlic and she eats and eats until her soul reeks of it. (laughs) (laughs) Father, you know that isn't true. But what if it isn't, Sasha? Let them spin yarns if it amuses them. Gabriel! Gabriel brings him another glass of vodka and a glass of water. His misfortune have almost ruined him, poor man. His affairs are in a frightful condition. If Borkin did not take such good charge of his estate, he and his Jewess would soon be starving to death. Oh, and what anxiety he has caused us. Heaven only knows how we have suffered. Do you realize, my dear, that for three years he has owed us 9,000 rubles? 9,000? Yes. That is the sum my dear Paul has undertaken to lend him. He never knows to whom it is safe to lend money and to whom it is not. I don't worry about the principal, but he ought to pay the interest on his debt. Mama, you have already discussed this subject at least a thousand times. What difference does it make to you? Why should you interfere? What is this mania you all have for gossiping about a man who has never done any of you any harm? Tell me, what harm has he done you? Let me say two words, Miss Sasha. I esteem Ivanov and have always found him an honorable man, but between ourselves, I also consider him an adventurer. I congratulate you on your opinion. In proof of its truth, permit me to present to you the following facts, as they were communicated to me by his secretary, or shall I say rather by his factotum, Borkin. Two years ago, at the time of the cattle plague, he bought some cattle and had them insured. Yes, I remember hearing of that. He had them insured, as you understand, and then inoculated them with the disease and claimed the insurance. What nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. No one bought or inoculated any cattle. The story was invented by Borkin, who then went about boasting of his clever plans. Ivanov would not forgive Borkin for two weeks after he heard of it. He is only guilty of a weak character and too great faith in humanity. He can't make up his mind to get rid of that Borkin, and so all his possessions have been tricked and stolen from him. Everyone who has had anything to do with Ivanov has taken advantage of his generosity to grow rich. Sasha, you little firebrand, that will do. Why do you all talk like this? This eternal subject of Ivanov, Ivanov, and always Ivanov has grown insufferable, and yet you never speak of anything else. I'm surprised and utterly astonished at your patience, young men. How can you sit there like that? Aren't you bored? Why, the very air is as dull as ditch water. Do, for heaven's sake, say something. Try to amuse the girls a little. Move about. Or if you can't talk of anything else except Ivanov, you might laugh or sing or dance. (laughs) That's right, Sasha. Give them a good scolding. Look here. Will you do me a favor? If you refuse to dance or sing or laugh, if all that is too tedious, then let me beg you, implore you, to summon all your powers, if only for this once, and make one witty or clever remark. Let it be as impertinent and malicious as you like, so long as it is funny and original. Won't you perform this miracle just once to surprise us and make us laugh? Or else you might think of some little thing which you could all do together, something to make you stir about. Let the girls admire you for once in their lives. Listen to me. I suppose you want them to like you. Then why don't try to make them do it? 
oh dear, there is something wrong with all of you. You are a lot of sleepy stick in the mud. I have told you so a thousand times and I shall always go on repeating it. There is something wrong with every one of you. Something wrong, wrong, wrong. Enter Ivanov and Shabelsky through the door on the right. Who is making a speech here? Is it you, Sasha? <laughs> Many happy returns of the day, my dear child. May you live as long as possible in this life, but never be born again. Oh, my dear Count! Who can this be? Not you, Count! Oh, two gold mines, side by side. What a pleasant picture it makes. Good evening, Zuzu. Good evening, Bertie. I am charmed to see you, Count. You are a rare visitor here now. Gabriel, bring some tea. Oh, please, sit down. She gets up and goes to the door and back, evidently much preoccupied. Sasha sits down in her former place. Ivanov silently shakes hands with everyone. What miracle has brought you here? You have given us a great surprise. Oh, I count, you're a rascal. You haven't been treating us right at all. Tell me, why don't you ever come to see us now? Are, are you offended? How can I get here to see you? Astride a broomstick. I have no horses of my own and Nicholas won't take me with him when he goes out. He says I must stay at home to amuse Sarah. Send your horses for me and I shall come with pleasure. Oh, that's easy to say, but Zuzu would rather have a fit than lend the horses to anyone. My dear, dear old friend, you are more to me than anyone I know. You and I are survivors of those good old days that are gone forever, and yet you alone bring back to mind the love and longings of my lost youth. Of course, I'm only joking, and yet, do you know, I'm almost in tears. Oh, stop, stop. You smell like the air of a wine cellar. Dear friend, you cannot imagine how lonely I am without my old companions. I can hang myself. Suzu has frightened away all the decent men with her stingy ways, and now we only have this riffraff, as you see. Tom, Dick, and Harry. However- Don't bring it in like that. Go fetch some jam to eat with it. <laughs> Didn't I tell you? I bet him driving over that as soon as we arrived, Zuzu would want to feed us with jam. Still joking, Count. <laughs> She's made 20 jars of it this year. How else do you expect her to get rid of it? Are you still adding to the hoard, Zuzu? You will soon have a million, eh? I know it seems as if no one could be richer than we, but where do they think the money comes from? It is all gossip. Oh, uh, yes, we all know that. We know how badly you play your cards. Tell me, Paul, honestly, have you saved up a million yet? I don't know. Ask Zuzu. And my plump little birdie here will soon have a million, too. She's getting prettier and plumper not only every day, but every hour. That means she has a nice little fortune. Thank you very much, Your Highness, but I don't like such jokes. My dear little gold mine, do you call that a joke? It was a wail of the soul, a cry from the heart that burst through my lips. My love for you and Zuzu is immense. Oh, rapture, obelisk. I cannot look at you two without a madly beating heart. You are still the same, Count. <laughs> Put out the candles, please, George. How is your wife, Nicholas? She is very ill. The doctor said today that she certainly had consumption. Oh, really? Oh, how sad. And we are all so fond of her. What trash do you all talk? That story was invented by that sham doctor and is nothing but a trick of his. He wants to masquerade as an Asclepius 
and so has started this consumption theory. Fortunately, her husband isn't jealous. As for Sarah, I wouldn't trust a word or an action of hers. I have made a point of distrusting all doctors, lawyers, and women. They are shammers and deceivers. You are an extraordinary person, Matthew. You have mounted this mis misanthropic hobby of yours, and you ride it through thick and thin like a lunatic. You are a man like any other, and yet, from the way you talk, one would imagine that you had the pip or a cold in the head. Would you have me go about kissing every rascal and scoundrel I meet? Where do you find all these rascals and scoundrels? Uh, of course, I'm not talking of anyone here present. Nevertheless... Oh, there you go again with your nevertheless. All this is simply a fancy of yours. A fancy? It is lucky for you that you have no knowledge of the world. My knowledge of the world is this. I must sit here prepared at any moment to have death come knocking at the door. This is my knowledge of the world. At our age, brother, you and I can't afford to worry about the knowledge of the world. So then, oh, Gabriel! Oh, you have had quite enough already. Look at your nose. No matter, old boy. I'm not going to be married today. Dr. Lavov has not been here for a long time. He seems to have forgotten us. That man is one of my aversions. Can't stand his icy sense of honor. He can't ask for a glass of water or smoke a cigarette without making a display of his remarkable honesty. Walking and talking is written on his brow. I am an honest man. He is a great bore. He is a narrow-minded, conceited medico. He shrieks like a parrot at every step. Make way for honest endeavor and thinks himself another St. Francis. Everybody is a rascal who doesn't make as much noise as he does. As for his penetration, it is simply remarkable. If a peasant is well off and lives decently, he sees at once that he must be a thief and a scoundrel. If I wear a velvet coat and am dressed by my valet, I am a rascal and the valet is my slave. There's no place in this world for a man like him. I am actually afraid of him. Yes, indeed. He is likely out of a sense of duty to insult a man at any moment and to call him a knave. I am dreadfully tired of him, but I can't help liking him, too. He is so sincere. Oh, yes. His sincerity is beautiful. He came up to me yesterday evening and remarked, absolutely apropos of nothing, Count, I have a deep aversion to you. It isn't as if he had such simply, but they are extremely pointed. His voice trembles, his eyes flash, his veins swell. Confound his infernal honesty. Supposing I am disgusting and odious to him. What is more natural? I know that I am, but I don't like to be told to, so to my face. I am a worthless old man, but he might have the decency to respect my gray hairs. Oh, what stupid, heartless honesty. Come, come, you've been young yourself and should make allowances for him. Yes, I have been young and reckless. I played the fool in my day and have seen plenty of knaves and scamps, but I have never called a thief a thief to his face or talked of ropes in the house of a man who had been hung. I knew how to behave, but this idiotic doctor of yours would think himself in the seventh heaven of happiness if fate would allow himself to pull my nose in public in the name of morality and human ideals. Now, young men are all stubborn and restive. I had an uncle once who thought himself a philosopher, 
he would fill his house with guests, and after he had a drink, he would get up on a chair like this and begin, you ignoramuses, you powers of darkness, this is the dawn of a new life. And so on and so on, he would preach and preach. And the guests? They would just sit and listen and go on drinking. Once though, I challenged him to a duel, challenged my own uncle. It came out of a discussion about Sir Francis Bacon. I was sitting, I remember where Matthew is, and my uncle and the late Gerasim Nilich were standing over there about where Nicholas is now. Well, Gerasim Nilich propounded this question. Enter Borkin. He is dressed like a dandy and carries a parcel under his arm. He comes in singing and skipping through the door on the right. A murmur of approval is heard. Michael Borkin. Hello, Misha. The soul of the company. Here we are. Most noble senora, let me be so bold as to wish you to the whole world many happy returns of the birthday of such an exquisite flower as you. As a token of my enthusiasm, let me presume to present you with these fireworks and this Bengal fire of my own manufacture. May they illuminate the night as brightly as you illuminate the shadows of this dark world. Thank you. Why don't you send this Judas packing? My compliments to you, sir. How are you, my patron? Nicholas, voila, hey, ho, hey. Most highly honored Zenaida. Oh, glorious Martha. Most ancient Avdotia. Noblest of counts. <laughs> the life of the company. The moment he comes in, the air feels livelier. Have you noticed it? Whew, I am tired. I believe I have shaken hands with everybody. Well, ladies and gentlemen, haven't you some little tidbit to tell me? Something spicy? Oh, auntie, I have, for, I have something to tell you. As I was on my way here, some tea, please, Gabriel, but without jam. As I was on my way here, I saw some peasants down on the riverbank pulling the bark off of the trees. Why don't you lease that meadow? Why don't you send that Judas away? Why, this is quite true. I never thought of it. Oh, I can't sit still. What tricks shall we be up to next, Auntie? I am all on edge, Martha, absolutely exalted. Once more I stand before thee. Think of something to amuse us, Misha. We are all bored. Yes, you look so. What is the matter with you all? Why are you sitting there as solemn as a jury? Come, let us play something. What shall it be? Forfeits? Hide and seek? Tag? Shall we dance? Or have the fireworks? The fireworks! The fireworks! The fireworks! What makes you so depressed today? My head aches, little Sasha. And then I feel bored. Come into the sitting room with me. They go out through the door on the right. All the guests go into the garden, and Zinaida and Lebedev are left alone. That is what I like to see. A young man like Misha comes into the room, and in a minute, he has everybody laughing. <laughs> well, there is no reason the candles should burn for nothing, so long as they are all in the garden. We really ought to give our guests something to eat, Suzu. What crowds of candles. No wonder we are thought rich. I do let them have something to eat, Zuzu. They are young and must be hungry by now, poor things. Zuzu! 
the Count did not finish his tea, and all that sugar has been wasted. <sighs> Enter Ivanov and Sasha through the door on the right. This is how it is, Sasha. I used to work hard and think hard and never tire, and now I neither do anything nor think anything, and I am weary, body and soul. I feel I am terribly to blame. My conscience leaves me no peace, day or night, and yet I can't see clearly exactly what my mistakes are. And now comes my wife's illness, our poverty, this eternal backbiting, gossiping, chattering, that foolish Borkin. My home has become unendurable to me, and to live there is worse than torture. Frankly, Sasha, the presence of my wife, who loves me, has become unbearable. You are an old friend, little Sasha. You will not be angry with me for speaking so openly. I came to you to be cheered, but I am bored here too. Something urges me to go home again. Forgive me, I shall slip away at once. I can understand your trouble, Nicholas. You are unhappy because you are lonely. You need someone at your side whom you can love, someone who understands you. What an idea, Sasha. Fancy a crusty old badger like myself starting a love affair. Heaven preserve me from such misfortune. No, my little sage, this is not a case for romance. The fact is, I can endure all I have to suffer. Sadness, sickness of mind, ruin, the loss of my wife, and my lonely, broken old age, but I cannot, I will not endure the contempt I have for myself. I am nearly killed by shame when I think that a strong, healthy man like myself has become, though heaven only knows what, by no means a Manfred or a Hamlet. There are some unfortunates who feel flattered when people call them Hamlets and cynics, but to me it is an insult. It wounds my pride, and I am tortured by shame and suffer agony. Nicholas, let us run away to America together. I, I haven't the energy to take such a step as that. And besides, in America, you... As a matter of fact, Sasha, this is not a good place for you to live. When I look about at the men who surround you, I am terrified for you. Whom is there you could marry? Your only chance will be if some passing lieutenant or student steals your heart and carries you away. Enter Zinaida through the door on the right with a jar of jam. Excuse me, Sasha. I shall join, join you in a minute. Sasha goes out into the garden. Zinaida, may I ask you a favor? What is it? The fact is, you know, that the interest on my note is due day after tomorrow. But I should be more than obliged to you if you will let me postpone the payment of it or would let me add the interest of the capital. I simply cannot pay it now. I haven't the money. Oh, Ivanov, how could I do such a thing? Would it be businesslike? No, no, don't ask it. Don't torment an unfortunate old woman. I beg your pardon. Oh, dear, dear, what a fright he gave me. I'm trembling all over. Enter Kosich through the door on the left. He walks across the stage. 
had the ace, king, queen, and eight of diamonds, the ace of spades, and one, just one little heart, and she, may the foul fiend fly away with her, she couldn't make a little slam. Goes out through the door on the right, enter from the garden, Avdotia and first guest. Oh, how I should like to get my claws into her, the miserable old miser. How should I like it? Does she think it's a joke to leave us sitting here since five o'clock without even offering us a crust to eat? What a house. What management. I'm so bored that I feel like beating my head against the wall. Lord, what a queer lot of people. I shall soon be howling like a wolf and snapping at them from hunger and weariness. I should like to get my claws into her, the old sinner. I shall get a drink, old lady, and then home I go. I won't have anything to do with these bells of yours. How the devil can a man think of love who hasn't had a drop to drink since dinner? Come on, we'll go and find something. Shh, softly. I think the brandy is in the sideboard in the dining room. We will find George. Shh. They go out through the door on the left. Enter Anna and Lvov through the door on the right. No, they will be glad to see us. Is no one here? <clears throat> they must be in the garden. I should like to know why you have brought me into this den of wolves. This is no place for you and me. Honorable people should not be subjected to such influences as these. Listen to me, Mr. Honorable Man. <clears throat> when, our, when you are escorting a lady, it is very bad manners to talk to her the whole way about nothing but your own honesty. Such behavior may be perfectly honest, but it's also tedious, to say the least. Never tell a woman how good you are. Let her find it out herself. <clears throat> My Nicholas used to only sing and tell stories when he was young, as you are. And yet every woman knew at once what kind of man he was. Don't talk to me of your Nicholas. I know all about him. You are a very worthy man. But you don't know anything at all. <laughs> Come into the garden. He never said, I am an honest man. These surroundings are far too narrow for me. He never spoke of wolves' dens, called people bears or vultures. He left the animal kingdom alone. And the most I have ever heard him say when he was excited was, oh, how unjust I have been today. Or, Annie, I'm so sorry for that man. That's what he would say. But you... Anna and Lvov go out. Enter Avdotia and first guest through the door on the left. There isn't any in the dining room, so it must be somewhere in the pantry. We must find George. Come this way through the sitting room. Oh, how I should get my claws into her. They go out through the door on the right. Martha and Borkin run in laughing from the garden. Shabelsky comes in mincing behind them, laughing and rubbing his hands. Oh, I am so bored. This is deadly. Everyone looks as if they had swallowed a poker. I am frozen to the marrow by this icy dullness. Oh, let us do something. Borkin catches her by the waist and kisses her cheek. Well, I'll be hanged. <laughs> really, you know. Let go. Let go, you wrench. <laughs> what will the Count think? Stop, I say. Angel. Jewel. Let me 2,300 rubles. Uh, most certainly not. <laughs> do what you please, but I'll thank you to leave my money alone. No, 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 no. Oh, let go, will you? A little birdie has its charms. Come, that will do. Let us come to the point and consider my proposition, frankly, as a business arrangement. 
Answer me honestly. Without tricks and equivocations, do you agree to do it or not? Listen to me. He needs money to the amount of at least 3000 a year. You need a husband. Do you want to be a countess? Oh, the cynic. Do you want to be a countess or not? Wait a minute. Really, Misha, these things aren't done in a second like this. <laughs> if the Count wants to marry me, let him ask me himself. And and I, I don't see, I don't understand. <laughs> All this is so sudden. Come, don't let us beat around the bush. This is a business arrangement. Do you agree or not? Supposing I do marry her. <laughs> Hang it, why, why shouldn't I play with this shabby trick? What do you say, little puss? Dearest chickabitty? Stop, stop. I hardly know what I'm doing. Go away. No, don't go. Answer at once. Is it yes or no? We can't stand here forever. Look here, Count. Come and visit me for three or four days. It is gay at my house, not like this place. <laughs> Come tomorrow. Or is this all a joke? How could I joke on such a serious subject? Wait, stop. Oh, I feel faint. A countess. <laughs> I am fainting. I am falling. Borkin and Shabelsky laugh and catch her by the arms. They kiss her cheeks and lead her out through the door to the right. Ivanov and Sasha run in from the garden. It can't be true. Don't, Sasha, don't. Oh, I implore you not to. I love you madly. Without you, my life can have no meaning, no happiness, no hope. Why? Why do you say that? What do you mean? Little Sasha, don't say it. You were the only joy of my childhood. I loved you, body and soul, then, as myself, but now... Oh, I love you, Nicholas. Take me with you to the ends of the earth, wherever you wish, but for heaven's sake, let us go at once or I shall die. <laughs> what is this? Is it the beginning for me of a new life? Is it, Sasha? Oh, my happiness, my joy, my freshness, my youth. Enter Anna from the garden. She sees her husband, Sasha, and stops as if petrified. Oh, then I shall live once more and work. Ivanov and Sasha kiss each other. After the kiss, they look around and see Anna. Sarah. The curtain falls. Wow, what a cliffhanger. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed part one of our production of Chekhov's Ivanov. Stay tuned. Next week, we will finish out the play, and it will not disappoint. After that, we have a new play coming up by James Egbert. He performed as Cornwall in our production of King Lear. So if you haven't listened to that yet, go back and listen to it. He did a great job, and he's an excellent up-and-coming playwright. We'll be producing his work right here on Unstaged for you very soon. So be sure to subscribe or follow us on whatever platform you prefer for your podcast listening. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much.